Every day in the month of May podcast, I'm Jeff Pullen, and I have to say congratulations. You made it through the first day, and that really is a challenge in and of itself. Now, I always say that the hardest step is the first step. If you can get beyond the starting line, you can get to the finish line. Now, it's true that we have a long way to go, but you have already taken the hardest step. So I say, well done. You are one 31st of the way finished. Yay. And this is going to be a great week. I want to encourage you to get started strong this week by developing a bit of a daily routine. Now, personally, I like to get out first thing in the morning so I can just get it done and not have the 5K hanging over my head all day long. But I know that that doesn't always work for everyone. So whatever works for you, I would encourage you to find your rhythm and make a plan to get it done. Remember that if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. So make a plan and follow the plan to the very best of your ability. Let's do this. Over on the 5K Every Day in the Month of May Facebook group page, someone asked about the Daily Fun Photo Challenge. They mentioned the challenge on May 4th specifically, which is to run with your nearest local running group. And this is what they wrote on the Facebook group page. They said, we don't have a local running group here, or I'd have to go into Pittsburgh to find one, and that's pretty far. If I go to the gym and run on a treadmill next to another runner, are we a running group? If I run with my husband and son, are we a running group? I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to manage to complete this task. Now, I thought this was a great comment and a great question. And for anyone else who may have had similar questions when they looked over the daily fun photo challenge list, uh, I think this might be helpful. So here is how I answered that question. The Daily Fun Photo Challenge is totally optional. It's just meant to be fun and to give people an opportunity to share their experience with one another. It's kind of a social thing. Now, I would anticipate that people will struggle to get all of the Daily Fun Photo Challenges done, and that is totally okay. I would encourage people to have fun with it and get as much done as they can. With that said, feel free to get creative. Yes, start a new running group with your husband and son. That sounds like a great running group to me. Also, yes, feel free to ask the person on the treadmill next to you to form a group uh, for the challenge. That's totally cool as well. You're not being graded on this. I'm excited to see how people interpret and accomplish some of these daily fun photo challenges. I like the idea of pushing people to try to find and join a local running group if possible, and I love the idea of mixing up your daily routine a bit for some of the other challenges. So I hope that helps anyone who had similar questions. Today's daily fun photo challenge is to run or walk while wearing a 5K finishers t-shirt from a previous year. Obviously, this is not a challenge that you can complete if you haven't finished the 5K made challenge in the past. So if that's you, no worries. Just log on to Facebook or whatever and be inspired by the pictures that are coming your way. If you have finished the challenge in the past, this is your chance to show off your hard-earned and well-deserved threads. So wear it proudly. You earned it. Put it on, snap a pic, share it to Strava, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you want, and feel free to use the hashtag 5KMay2022 or hashtag DailyFunPhoto. Either way, the point is to have fun and to interact with one another along the way. 
I was scrolling through the day one check-in comments on my blog post. This is going to be an exciting challenge. We've got people from several different countries, from all over the United States, and this daily fun photo challenge is just going to be one way that we can stay connected as we challenge and encourage one another to reach that finish line. All right, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's go ahead and get this party started with a song from my most recent solo record called We Are Loved, which was released this past November. And the song is called Great Things You Have Done. I don't know how long I will travel Taking these trips around the sun I know as long as I'm able I will make the best of each one And each day you wake me up Is a day I'll lift you up yeah. If these arms keep breathing by your grace
this is Jody Poland, and I just wanted to say how excited I am that you are joining us for this 5K every day in the month of May challenge. I think May is my favorite month of the year. I love to see so many people pushing themselves to do new things, and there's a sense of community as we encourage each other in our daily runs. And I just wanted to get on here and encourage you all to take this challenge one day at a time. I know it can be a bit overwhelming to start out the month and you think about all of the days that you have ahead of you. But I don't want you to feel discouraged. I think you should take it one day at a time and try to enjoy the process. You guys are going to do great. Our Bible verse that we're committing to memory this week is Matthew 5, 14, which says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So as we think about that today, and as we get started looking at the Sermon on the Mount today, I just want to encourage you to let your light shine in whatever you're doing today. Thank you, Jody, for that reminder to let our light shine for Jesus today. I hope you are joining me in committing Matthew 5.14 to memory this week. Throughout the month, we will be hearing from Jody occasionally, as well as from some other special guests as well. If you're listening to this podcast, and especially if you have listened to this podcast in the past, I would love to hear from you. Go ahead and leave a comment on the Day 2 blog post at www.jeffpullenmusic.com and let me know what special guests you would like to hear from this month. We've had some incredible guests in the past, and I would love to know which guests stuck out to you the most and what you remember about them specifically. Also, I would love to hear your suggestions of who I should contact to see if they would be willing to jump on the 5K Every Day in the Month of May podcast as well. So go ahead and leave a comment on my blog post and we'll see what we can do. But for now, let's go ahead and jump into the daily Bible reading. We are currently in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 4 Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God had said to the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. 
A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick, and whatever their sicknesses or diseases, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. There were people from Galilee, the Ten Towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. There is a lot of Old Testament scripture being referenced here in Matthew 4. Following his baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, the Bible tells us. (laughs) No kidding. This sounds so simple, but I love that Matthew included this seemingly obvious bit of information so that we could be reminded of the humanity of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. This is God math we're talking about here. Somehow, in ways that only the mind of God can truly comprehend, 100% plus 100% equals 100%. I like to think of it like this. While he walked the earth as a man, Jesus could have operated in his divinity at any point. It's like he had a God card in his back pocket. At any point, he could have pulled out his God card and dipped into his divinity to meet any need or desire. And Satan realized this as well. He came to Jesus in the wilderness knowing that he was hungry and weak from 40 days and nights of not eating physical food. And Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus could have done it. He had the God card in his back pocket. But Jesus refused at every single point throughout his life on earth to operate out of his divinity. Instead, though he was fully God and fully capable of acting as God, he chose instead to operate fully out of his humanity. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 2, where he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul says that even though Jesus was in the form of God, he emptied himself of being equal with God. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He was obedient to his mission of living as a human no matter what, even to the point of dying on a cross. Why? Why did he do this? And why does it matter that we understand that he did this? While he was physically walking on the earth as a man, Jesus operated in his humanity and not out of his divinity so that his sacrificial death could be made on behalf of humans. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. This is what the Bible clearly teaches, and this happened in the Garden of Eden. Then through one man, Jesus, sin and death were forever defeated, and that happened on the cross at Calvary. Again, the Bible makes this incredibly clear in all four Gospels. 
If Jesus would have operated as God while on the earth, if, for instance, when he was hungry in the wilderness, he just used his divine nature and power to turn stones into bread, well, then his sacrificial death could not have been made on man's behalf, but it would have instead have been made on God's behalf. But of course, God has never sinned and is certainly not in need of being saved. But Jesus could not have died for humanity once and for all if he had not lived as fully human. Yes, he had the God card with him at all times, and yes, he could have used it at any moment, but using it would have disqualified him from being able to die for the sins of man, which was the mission that he was obedient to, carrying it to completion through his sacrificial death. As we continue along through this month engaging with all four Gospels, let's keep this reality in our minds that Jesus, being fully God, did not use his godness while walking the earth. We are going to be tempted at points along the way to think, well, yeah, of course Jesus was able to do that. I mean, he is God after all. And while it is certainly true that he is, in fact, God, I want us to remember that he never dipped into his divinity. He never used the God card. And the reason this is so important is because as a man, Jesus was not only a perfect and sufficient sacrifice, but he was also our model. If Jesus operated as God, dipping into his divinity, pulling the God card while he walked the earth, then the things that he did while on earth would be impossible for us mere humans to do as well. We couldn't do the things that he did. We couldn't live the way that he lived because we're not God. But as we realize that Jesus was fully man, walking in the power of the same spirit that is alive in us today, we begin to see his life as a model for our own lives. We can do the same things that he did. In fact, we can do greater things than he did. And that is exactly, in fact, what he wants us to do. This is what Jesus himself said in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And we'll get to that book and chapter soon enough. But for now, let's just keep this concept in our minds and let's continue to walk through the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 5. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be freed again until you have paid the last penny. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't even turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. 
But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It is interesting that so many people think of Jesus as being a great teacher. They're not wrong, of course, but teaching is only a small part of what Jesus did while he walked the earth. And engaging in the classic Western idea of teaching, where the teacher stands up in front and everybody else just listens in, was something that made up an even smaller part of what Jesus did throughout his life. Most of the teaching that Jesus engaged in happened within the context of everyday life and relationships. I don't think that Jesus saw himself so much as a teacher, but more of a disciple maker. The classic idea of teaching can certainly play into that, but it takes a lot more than simply standing in front of people and talking to them to turn them into disciples who will make disciples. Still, Jesus did engage in that classic stand in front of everyone and talk form of teaching on many occasions. We read about him standing up in the synagogue to teach on many occasions, and on several occasions we see him stand in front of a seemingly random crowd to speak to them and to teach them about who God is and about how he wants us to live. And here in Matthew 5, we see the most prominent example of this kind of teaching in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon will cover three entire chapters, starting here in Matthew 5 and then going through Matthew 6 and 7, and it is chock full of information. I've noticed that many people claim to know or presume to know what Jesus was all about and what he thought about certain subjects, but we really don't have to guess what Jesus thought. He makes his thoughts incredibly clear to us right here in the Bible. The Sermon on the Mount is no exception to that. We spoke a little bit yesterday about how Matthew was a tax collector prior to being called to leave that life behind and to follow Jesus. Now, one interesting thing worth noting about his tax collecting background is that he would have been proficient in a form of shorthand writing that was a necessary skill among tax collectors. This rather unique and obscure skill allowed Matthew to capture an incredible amount of the words coming straight out of the mouth of Jesus, including this Sermon on the Mount, with amazing speed and accuracy. None of the other gospel writers managed to capture the fullness of this sermon for their inclusion in their gospel account. So from a completely natural historical standpoint, what we have here in Matthew 5-7 through is likely an incredibly accurate representation of the exact words of Jesus. And of course, from a supernatural standpoint, we believe that the gospel writers were able to accurately represent the words of Jesus through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit who led and inspired the entire writing process. But either way, we can be confident that we are reading the exact words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. And with that in mind, let's take another look at what he actually said. He starts the sermon by telling the crowd of people what being blessed truly looks like. And it was not what they were expecting. He says, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you're meek, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you're merciful, if you are pure in heart, if you are a peacemaker, if you are persecuted for righteousness sake, And if you are persecuted and slandered because of your love for Jesus. Why? Well, before we look at the why, let's take a moment to consider the alternative here. Another way of looking at what Jesus said could be, you are blessed if you are poor in spirit rather than being full of yourself. You are blessed if you mourn rather than being callous and indifferent to circumstances. You are blessed if you are meek, rather than trying to just get your own way by brute force. You are blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, rather than fill yourself up with the endless eating at the table of the world. 
You are blessed if you are merciful rather than holding a grudge and showing no mercy. You are blessed if you are pure in heart rather than hiding evil in your heart and presenting a fake version of yourself to the world. You are blessed if you are a peacemaker rather than someone who starts quarrels or overlooks an injustice. You are blessed if you are persecuted for righteousness sake rather than being applauded for joining in with evil. And you are blessed if you are persecuted and slandered because of your love for Jesus rather than being accepted by the world by rejecting Jesus. And again, I ask, why? And I believe Jesus gives us a total and complete answer. Because even if you are poor in spirit, but you trust in Jesus, you are rich in the kingdom of heaven. Because when you allow your heart to care enough to mourn, if you trust in Jesus, he himself will comfort you when you mourn. Because when you are meek, when you trust Jesus and allow him to be strong in you, to fight on your behalf, he will always win. You will rule and reign with Christ. As a co-heir with Christ, you will inherit the earth. Because when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, not self-righteousness, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone, through his saving work on the cross, you will receive his righteousness. You will be filled. Because when you are merciful towards others, in view of the fact that God was radically merciful towards you when he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins and your mistakes, then you also receive mercy. Because when we allow God to transform our hearts and our souls to make them line up with Christ, we will see God at work in our lives and in the lives of others. Because when we act as peacemakers, when we act as ministers of reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then we are acting like God himself. We will be called what we truly are, sons of God. Because when we are persecuted for righteousness sake, we realize that this world is not our home. Our home is the kingdom of heaven where righteousness is rewarded. And because when others revile us and persecute us and utter all kinds of evil against us falsely because of our faith in Jesus, we know that we are walking in the same footsteps as the prophets who have gone before us. And we can rejoice and be glad knowing that our reward is in heaven and it will be far greater than anything we could hope to obtain here on this earth. To summarize this incredible, blessed way of living, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and who receive eternal salvation by grace through that same simple faith should be different. We are not called to be like the world. We are called to be different. We are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus continues with his sermon by offering some fairly radical examples of what it looks like to be different, to be his follower. And I want to make sure that we get this because it is really important. To truly understand Jesus' words here throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, there is a bit of a trick to keep in mind. You need to take his words seriously, but not literally. When it comes to being angry with someone, for example, don't lash out and retaliate. Jesus says that if you call someone a fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Now take him seriously here. He has a better way for his followers. Lashing out in anger and calling someone a bad name hurts the father heart of God. 
Remember that he loves them and he sent Jesus to die for them as well as for you. But don't take the words of Jesus literally here. You will not be thrown into the fires of hell for having a momentary lapse of judgment and saying a foolish thing towards someone else. God's grace is not that flimsy. Jesus is simply using hyperbolic language to help us understand the big picture behind what is important to God and how he wants us to live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. One final note here from chapter 5 before we move on. Notice that Jesus makes it a point to say that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, he came to fulfill them. Then he lays out this seemingly impossible truth bomb. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5 verse 20. And that sounds like some seriously bad news for people who are interested in entering the kingdom of heaven, right? I mean, how can we obtain a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which is apparently required in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, there's only one way. We will never enter on account of our own righteousness. I mean, I don't care how good you think you are. You're not that good. We can only enter the kingdom of heaven on account of Jesus's righteousness. We have all sinned and fall far short of God's standard. But Jesus kept God's standard perfectly. He lived a perfect, sinless life and then willingly laid down his life on a sinner's cross, on our cross, as a sacrifice for us. While on the cross, just before he died, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And that word there for finished is actually the same word for paid in full. As he breathed his last breath on the cross, he was declaring that the payment for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of everyone who has ever lived and whoever will live, has been paid in full. Now imagine that you had accumulated some sort of financial debt for whatever reason. Maybe it was a college loan or a home loan or a car loan or a medical bill or even all of the above. Whatever it is, imagine that you accumulated financial debt that had become so large that you simply could not imagine a way to pay it off. Now, for some of us, this illustration may be hitting a little too close to home, but imagine feeling the weight of this insurmountable, crushing financial debt. And then imagine that someone came along and simply out of their kindness and mercy and grace offered to pay your debt in full. No doubt this payment would come at a great cost to them, but your debt would be completely paid. Now, wouldn't that be amazing? Well, almost. It would almost be amazing, but there would still be one thing left to do. You would have to accept their offer. It's the same way with Jesus. The offer is on the table, but in order for his payment to be applied on your behalf, you have to accept his generous offer. When you do that, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, believing that his payment, which came at a great cost to him, his very life, was full payment for your sins, then you don't merely receive eternal life, but you also receive his righteousness. And the only way that any of us will ever enter the kingdom of heaven is by having a righteousness that is not our own, but that comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The good news is that he is, in fact, offering this gift of our sin being paid in full, and he is offering it for free through his work on the cross. The only thing that we have to do, then, is accept it. Chapter 6. 
Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For if you do, you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. For no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. 
So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I love it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I feel like this is just the best way to live this life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else, whatever you need, will be provided. Now that's a good word. I think we'll leave it there for today. We'll wrap up the Sermon on the Mount tomorrow. And until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To send you out today, here's another song from my most recent solo album. And the song is called Brilliant Light. Yeah.